We have the call to worship. This is from the Bible where God calls the world to submit to him, flee their rebellion, and to embrace him through Jesus Christ. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalm. Let us bow our heads in silent preparation for worship. Let us pray. We gather together, God, by your call, uh, both external when the church calls us to worship, Lord, and internal as we desire, Lord, to be in your presence and to be with your people. We ask, God, that we would continue to praise you and thank you, Lord. We think of you uh, throughout the week for the many wondrous things you've done for us, Lord, in particular, God, for taking care of our bodies, for watching over us, Lord, and blessing us in your providence towards us, Lord, here in America in particular, and here where we are in our church, God, where uh, we have food, we have raiment, we have shoes on our feet, God, we have a roof over our head, and many other blessings, Lord, even air conditioning here in our building. And so, God above, we are thankful for these things that you've given us that we do not deserve, that we would not, we pray, ever take it for granted. But, Lord, to remind one another and remind our children and our children's children, Lord, to bless you, to praise you, and to submit to you. Precious God, we pray for our sin condition, Lord, as we struggle with various things that we have in our lives, God, temptation with the weakness of our flesh. Lord, I pray, God, that we would stand firm and that we would acknowledge our sins, Lord. If we've not taken care of our body, as you tell us to, Lord, for it is the temple of the Holy Spirit, we read in Corinthians, Lord God above, that we would start, Lord, as best we can. A little here, a little there, certainly with diet, God, perhaps some exercise, and certainly, God, to avoid danger and uh, risky things for ourselves and for our family, God, that we would watch over ourselves not just spiritually only, but also for our body, that we believe the body will be resurrected and that we are to give account of what we do with our body as well. And so, God, as we are in your presence in a special manner this morning, we pray for your gospel. We pray for the truth to sink into our hearts, to remind us again, Lord God, that you have given us grace. You have given us mercy through the blood of Christ Jesus, and that we can repent, and that we should always turn to you, Lord, yes, daily. We pray for those persecuted, our brothers and sisters across this world, Lord, in the Middle East and Africa and in Asia and elsewhere, Lord, that you would protect and watch over their body, Lord, but especially their souls, that they would not renounce Christ, that they would stand firm and cling ever closer to you, we pray. We cannot imagine the things that they go through, Lord, and the temptation and the pressure upon them, the attacks and even the torture, Lord, that you would protect them, God, we pray, and give them access to what they need a building, a place to worship, food for their body, Lord, a protection from danger and death. Lord God, we're thankful for the churches that are there and that they would stand firm, that the leaders would not give up, Lord, but give them hope and continue to preach the good news of Christ to them and that God is there for them and that their hope, Lord, is not in this world, but in the coming of Christ Jesus. Where we read in Revelation, God, where the saints, the martyrs, and their blood cries out for vengeance and justice, and it shall be done. We pray, God, for what we have in America, which is not, we don't like to use the word persecution, but it's certainly changed in our lifetime, God, where there's more hate that move from indifference toward outright antagonism, Lord, for being a Christian and tarring and feathering us, Lord, that is verbally and uh, painting us as radicals, God, as our society has gone worse and worse down the drain. Uh, they cry out, this seems more and more, and even firing people for, uh, or attacking Christian businesses at the very least, and even firing some Christians that we know of, God for not towing the line of wickedness. And so, God, we pray for those Christians. We pray for our churches. We know that you use difficult times to purge us uh, from weakness, from sin, God. And even, Lord, that as we read in First John, 
and that those who are not of us would come out from us, Lord. We pray for the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, God above, for our denomination, uh, the churches that we covenant with one another, that we promise to help one another and to take care and to pray for one another as we are able, Lord, in our presbytery and at the national level, Lord, the General Assembly. And we ask God that you would be with her and that she would stand firm. Her leaders would not give in to the spirit of the age, but ever be aware and mindful of the various ways in which Satan and the world wishes to seep into our thoughts, ways of doing things to undermine us, Lord, to draw us unto sin and to paint uh, temptation, like as we say, Lord, to put lipstick on a pig to make it look better than what it really is. Our God, we pray for such wisdom and discernment, Lord, by your Spirit, uh, through all levels of our denomination, God, to do the right thing, stand firm, we pray, and to help one another, God. We're thankful for our diaconate services. We know of our church and our presbytery that helps pastors in need, Lord, and even families in need as things arise, God, that we would think of the future, Lord, as we see uh, more pressure upon Christian businesses to give in to the world, Lord, uh, that Christians uh, are not being promoted uh, through major businesses and even the government, God, so we have less and less influence and there, and also less and less money and resources, God, that we would be wise with our resources and husband them according to what we see coming down the road. We pray for our Presbyterian in particular, that is our regional church, Lord, through the various churches, God, in Colorado, uh, North and South Dakota, and Wyoming and Utah, God, that you would be with them, that their leaders would stand firm and also be wise, God, that we would have a united Presbytery, Lord, in accordance to truth uh, and not our feelings or someone who's a friend of ours, God. And we pray, Lord, that the members of the church will continue to pray for one another and to support their leaders, Lord, and, of course, to hold, keep them accountable to the extent that they're able, Lord. And, of course, uh, the sessions and the ruling elders and the pastors would also keep the people accountable, God, and that they would draw nigh unto one another as the family of God, supporting one another and admonishing one another and according to their roles and positions in life, Lord. We pray for their strength, pray for their numerical growth, Lord, to bring people to them. We need to hear the gospel and need to repent. We pray for their spiritual growth, Lord. Again, protect them from lies. We ask God to be with us today and that we would attend to the word of God and that, Lord, those of us who are struggling with ailments and sicknesses, God, we know some of us, a number of us have chronic ailments, Lord, and it seems to multiply with old age, that we would persevere, we would not be discouraged, God, that we would encourage one another and pray for one another and help one another in these matters, and that you would heal us, Lord, give us wisdom to deal with such sicknesses and aches and difficulties that we have with our body, Lord, and that affect our mind, of course, and Lord, that we would have good doctors and good advice. We thank you, Lord, for the many things you've given us in spite of our sins. We ask for your continued mercies upon us through your Son, Jesus Christ, our great shepherd. In your name alone we pray. Amen. Let us turn to our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Let us listen attentively to the Word of God. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. Let us pray. With these words, God, you hone in through the mouth of Peter, Lord, through the pen of Peter, uh, the importance, God, of reading and learning and following the word, your word, the word of God, the Bible. The Holy Scriptures, Lord, that you have given us through time and space, God, these are are not just wishful thinkings or muses that came upon these people, uh, Lord, the apostles and the writers of old, but rather your Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, who work such through their own personalities that they wrote what is true before us. Help us, we pray, in a day and age that mocks and laughs at us, Lord, in a country that we thought was ours. At least they had roots, strong roots in Christianity and belief in the Word of God, that we would stand firm, Lord, and be encouraged by this sermon, in spite of the lies around us. In your name alone we pray. Amen. We are people of the book. 
This is where we find hope. This is where we find guidance. This is where we find correction. This is where we find comfort. But it's easy to forget the importance of the Bible when we are so busy with life. Have neighbors and friends who reject the Bible and have our own weak flesh that tries to hide from the piercing examination by the Word of God. So let's go over the doctrine of the Bible, what it is and how to use the Word of God for the betterment of each other and for our soul. We see that here in this text, this the center part of this one sentence, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word. In the prior verse, he describes the conditions upon which this ought to be done, which is we lay aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, any and all sins. Because as you know, if you harbor sin, it makes it a little harder to be convicted by the Word of God. You want to make excuses and avoid those passages. And so I want to focus here on the pure milk of the Word of God. I preached uh, a lot in that sermon about the desire and the importance of yearning for God and His truth. And here we're going to talk more about the Word or the pure milk of the Word. What is the pure milk of the Word? What is the Word of God? What is He talking about here? It is divine revelation, that which comes from God Almighty. It is a divine word. It is not merely the word of man, although it is in the form of words, words we can understand. It's because God is coming down to our level and communicating with us and talking to us, although he did not have to. He knows our frailty. He knows our weaknesses. He knows what we need for communication, and so he's given us the Bible to communicate with us. Let us be satisfied with nothing less than this Revelation and this truth that we have in the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation, from the Psalms to the Gospels, from the letters of the Apostles to the Chronicles and histories of the Old Testament church. It's all from God and God breathed. It is not new revelations. We do not believe in following our emotions. We do not follow new philosophies or old philosophies or politics or critical race theory or whatever is the latest fad day in the churches. We follow the word of God because we know it is from God. It is not mediated through a broken vessel that somehow twisted it so that we have to kind of guess what's really being said here. It is the word of God. It has the authority of God backing it up as though God is speaking from heaven. And that's why we are called here to desire this pure milk of the word. He's emphasizing to the Christians the importance of taking the Bible seriously, the Holy Scriptures. It is God-breathed, that is breathed out by God. If he had a mouth, he does not, of course. It's a metaphor to show the intimacy and the authority and the power of the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, I think many of us know this passage. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That's why we are people of the book, not people of tradition, as some so-called Christian denominations follow their tradition and put it on par with the Bible. Called to do that often, they'll have another book, they'll have their prophet, so-called prophet, and try to tell you they have new things and new revelations. We do not have any of that. We have the Bible. It is finished. It is enough. The Bible is God-breathed, as we read here in 2 Timothy 3.16, or inspired, just as it sounds coming out of our mouth, originating from us and from our minds, in this case from God and His mind. So the Bible comes from His mouth, originating from His mind and nowhere else. The Bible is not someone's idea of what God said. It is God telling us what His ideas are. It is God-breathed, and that's why we should desire it. 
like we desire letters from our family, from our best friends, from our spouse, if we were in a faraway country for a long, long time. We want those letters. We want to read about them. We want to know what's going on in their minds, and they can help us and comfort us. And so we have the Word of God. The Bible is divine revelation. It is God-breathed, more precisely, but it's also a compilation of law and gospel. The way to understand the Bible, the way as you read it, is to understand its purpose and function. And it has two broad purposes and function under the rubrics of law and gospel. The law is given to us, that is the holy will of God, how you should live and how you should not live, what you should do and what you should not do. That's the law. We all know what that is. The Ten Commandments are a summary of God's holy law. It is there for conviction. It is there for conviction. Conviction for us as believers, we still need conviction. We still struggle with sin, but conviction for unbelievers as well. We should not assume that the believers know their sin and that they are, we should give them the gospel later in our conversation. They need to hear it. They need to hear it. People confuse, in my experience, the misery of unbelievers with conviction of sin. They're a miserable person. Look at look all the troubles they're going through, and they're complaining, and they admit they have problems, and they're struggling. Okay, that's good. That doesn't mean they acknowledge their sin before God. I just had a few problems, you know, I just have a problem here and there, and it, it's just something I, it, I can't help myself, and all the excuses start flooding out. Don't fall for the show of misery. We live in a very superficial society, right? It's all in the video, it's all in the presentation, it's all in the propaganda, because that's what we have, lots of propaganda. And then somehow we're surprised when their life falls apart and there's a divorce. We shouldn't be. Paulo is an excellent example of that. Oh, plastic smiles, plastic faces, everything's good. And when they're sad, oh, look how miserable they are. Their heart, their heart wants to touch you and you touch, it touches your heart and you feel sorry for them. Sure, turn off that emotion and realize they are unbelievers who hate God and they need the law to wake them up. Or they will not repent. The law is for conviction. The gospel is for comfort. The gospel is there for our salvation. It answers the conviction of the law. It says, Christ has taken your guilt for breaking the law. Christ has suffered death for you violating God's law and being a rebel. So the law and the gospel are needful, as it were, in the entryway to the kingdom of God. That's why Christ talked a lot about the law and a lot about hell when he was here on earth. There's another use for the law and the gospel together as a pair. The law is there for direction, right? The law is a guidance for us. Instead of leaving us to our own devices and emotions or the peer pressure of this world, God has given us his Bible, which has the law of God in it. It tells us this is the right way to think. This is the right things to do, the right way to live. This is the wrong way to live. This is the wrong way to think. We have lots of negative examples as well, which is helpful. We need to be reminded, don't imitate you know, King Saul, for example. Don't imitate him, children. See how terrible his life was. He grew up in the covenant and he threw it all away because he wanted to do things his way. So the law is there for direction. The law tells us this is the right way. This is the way that we are called as believers to love Jesus because Jesus tells us what? If you love me, keep my commandments, keep my law. And the gospel is there for motivation. After we have repented, of our sins, and embrace Christ Jesus as our only Lord and Savior. The law is still there to guide us, and the gospel is still there, not only to comfort us, but also to motivate us. Out of a heart of gratitude and love, we want to obey Jesus. Jesus is saying, if you love me, right? If you have love for your family, you will take care of your family. You will submit to your father 
You instruct your children, the children obey their parents. Those are expressions of love. Christ is saying the same thing. He doesn't want you to obey him to save yourself. We obey because we already are saved. That's the difference. So the gospel is there for motivation to obey God and follow him out of a heart of gratitude and love. The law and gospel are important aspects of the word of God. This is what it means when he says, desire the pure milk of the word, not just gospel only, not just law only. That's actually not the pure word of the God. The pure word of God, the pure milk of the word of God is both law and gospel. We need both in our lives. As pure milk, of course, hone in on that phrase, that metaphor, that beautiful metaphor. Uh, Although I think most of us, we get older, we don't drink a lot of milk. It's usually kids that drink it, I think. Pure milk, it is without error. The Bible is divine. The Bible is law and gospel. And the Bible is without error. And that's implied necessarily, right? In 2 Timothy 3.16, right? The word of God is God-breathed. Does God make an error when he speaks? God forbid. That would be blasphemy. God spoke and he moved through the writer's hands, such as Peter here. He made sure it's exactly what we need to hear. It's without error. Science does not prove the Bible wrong. Science has shown itself to be an error lots and lots of times. It can't go back to the beginnings of creation and investigate anything. It's all just hypothesis about the origins. We have to go to the Bible because the Bible has the truth, brothers and sisters, young and old alike. And we read that in Genesis. When I went through Genesis, as you recall, I went over the errors of evolution, how they admit themselves. They've gone through revolution after revolution because they have so many problems with the facts they can't deal with. And the Bible never changed. They, it's the Bible that is true. We see that in Genesis. We see that in creation. We see that what it teaches about God, what it teaches about Christ, what it says about David and Saul and Peter, what it says about Rome and the early church. The historical facts and details are accurate as well. They're truthful. When I went through Acts, you recall I stopped once in a while and point out, look, Luke is referring to a specific office on the island of Cyprus that only existed in the small window of, as I recall, about five years or so. He uses that exact phrase. That's how accurate, because he was there as an eyewitness. No one else knew about that. That technical term of an office under Roman authority? Wow. Of course, the many details you read in Acts and the Old Testament. They've dug up. I've got a Bible. I remember when we, uh, we would go out and visit my in-laws in Kansas City. Now my in-laws here. I can't go visit there anymore. And they have a big Zondervan store there. And all the Bibles on sale half the time. I got a nice archaeological Bible. And you can go through page after page. And they just summarize all the archaeological digs. Because this has built up over the last hundred years. So much stuff there. Leonard wrote a whole little book on it. You should go get it. He summarized. He didn't put everything in there. He just summarized it, right? Put a lot of details. But there's still more stuff that they're digging up. And unfortunately, it's a lot of unbelievers, so you got to get the right connections and get all kinds of money to pay for the subscriptions to find out what they discovered, because they're not going to tell you. They hide that stuff in Israel. So, the Bible is without error, and it tells us the truth. Now, the Bible, of course, has its purpose. And so, the purpose and what it tells us in the Word of God is without error. So, we shouldn't come to it and come up with things that it doesn't, it's not there to tell us. It's not there to tell us about math, for example. We don't go to the Bible to learn 2 plus 2 is 4 or the square root of 16 is 4, or anything else like that. Okay, God gave us, and of course, even the unbelievers, he gifted them with the inside of natural revelation, put all those pieces together, and that's fine. It's not our claim. The claim is what it says and what its purpose is true and stands true, and is there to tell, teach us about God, about Christ and salvation, about sin and misery, and about heaven. And it uses lots of historical details and events to show us God's in charge of history. God's behind it all. That's why the Bible is true. 
If man can thwart God's will, and then we are lost, confused, and deep, we don't have the Word of God anymore. If we want to grow, it says here that you may grow thereby, 1 Peter 2, 2, right? Desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow. Grow what? Like a plant? No, grow as a Christian, as one who loves God, who's obedient to Christ, loves the saints. That's what he's talking about. And we have to read the Bible, learn the Bible, and understand what the Bible is. It's divine, it's law and gospel, and it is without error. And we don't want to mix it because it's pure milk, not milk with chocolate, although I like chocolate milk, not milk with strawberry, although I like that too, honey. Where'd she go? I haven't had Nesquik in a while. No, just pure milk. Don't add human philosophies. Don't add the latest fads and traditions to the Bible. We just want the Bible. Drinking the pure milk of the Word of God. The second point, what is the Word of God? And drinking the Word, the pure milk of the Word of God as newborn babes. He describes here in this beautiful metaphor, the comparative as, as you see there, of course, not that you should be babes, but as a babe desires the milk of the mom, we should desire the milk of the Word. That's what he's saying. And that baby won't accept anything else. They don't want poison. They don't want meat. They want milk. Single folk. Now, when I say that, and when he gives this picture, of course, he's not saying we should all be uh, zealots out in the street and just lose our jobs and always preach every day because I really love the Word of God. I'm just going to read the Bible all day. No, it's different for every Christian. I know that, and the Bible knows that. But in general, it is an important desire of our heart that we ought to husband, we ought to nurture and not let it fade away. As we are able, we should feed upon the Word of God and grow thereby. To learn about God and salvation, to learn about sin and righteousness, that's what it means uh, to desire or feed upon the implied verb there, right? As newborn babes do what? They, they just think about it? No, they desire it and they go further than that. They eat, they drink, they want it. And that's what we have to do as well. Believers want the Word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, our Lord and Savior tells us but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is what we need, the Bible. As I said, intensity is different for all of us. Our emotions come and go. We have different opportunities. To be sure, you have a job, you have to work. Yes, yes. But you know in your heart of hearts, you don't want to avoid the Bible. You don't want to uh, displease your father. You want to learn about his will for your life, and that's in the Bible. It's divine, law and gospel, without error, and we ought to desire it as a baby desires milk, but not to be babes in our faith. Rather, to grow, he says that, to grow, that you may grow thereby, not, not always be a babe. So our intent and our desire for the Word of God in that respect should be like a baby. But with respect to maturation, with respect to obedience, with respect to doing our duties and callings and vocations in life as a husband, as a wife, as a child, as a member of the church, as an engineer, as a mechanic, as a citizen of this nation, we ought to be mature and not babe. He says that elsewhere in the Bible. It's just a metaphor. It's there to emphasize and to highlight and to capture your imagination. We want to grow. And the first step towards growth in the Christian life is to take his Bible seriously as a baby takes that milk seriously, because he does. To sustain that desire, I'll give a little summary here, to sustain that desire of the pure milk of the Word of God takes personal effort. There is no magic formula. It is there, yes, where the wind blows, that's where the Spirit, like the Spirit is, and He saves whom He wills. We're born again. You have that desire. But it doesn't mean desire always stays in equal measure. It ebbs and flows at times. You want to keep it up higher as you are able. So obviously, then you want to avoid anything that would smother that desire. It's a general proposition, of course. Anything that smothers that desire. Anything that will sustain that desire, you want to engage with. 
you know you can't just leave it alone. It's not enough just to what? Avoid temptation. You got to do good things. Not avoid, enough to avoid bad things. You got to do good things. Not enough to avoid that which suppresses your desire for the Word of God. You have to find things that engage and grow that desire. And that's why you're here this morning. <laughs> this is part of it. Again, it's not a magical formula. People like to write books because they make money off it and give you, you know, 10 steps of this and 40 days of that. Sometimes that's helpful or useful. But remember, at the end of the day, it's hard work, like everything else in life is for adulthood and for maturation. And so if you want to avoid anything that smothers your desire, then you want to avoid people, institutions, or ideas that smother that desire. Those people or institutions or ideas that mock or belittle the Bible, you obviously don't want to be around. That's not going to help you. Be more serious to desire the Word of God, to sustain that desire as a baby. Rather, you should engage with people, institutions, and ideas that promote and practice the Bible. And that's where we are. That's where we should be. Those are the things we should hear and promote as we are able. Read the Bible, that's obvious. But it's hard, especially if you're new to Christianity, if you struggle and your job's hard. A little bit here, a little bit there, just persevere. Five minutes a day, even, can make a difference especially with family devotions, so the children get used to the pattern of reading the Bible and praying, maybe singing some psalms and songs, memorizing Bible verses and like. These are ways to sustain your desires. And don't just memorize random Bible verses. This looks kind of cool. Memorize ones that are significant to you, that are helpful to you. Proverbs is here. You've got a whole book there to memorize things. Children can memorize some of that. That's good. Read, read through the Proverbs. You can make that a 31-day plan, one chapter a day. Be creative. But do something so that you're not forgetting the Word of God and that it's there because God gave it to you to grow thereby. And as I said, people or institutions or ideas, friendship in particular, who you're friends with can undermine or reinforce your desire for the Word of God. Choose your friends carefully. Coworkers and neighbors, of course, are hard. You don't always get to choose them. It's whoever ends up being your coworker, whoever ends up being your neighbor. But even then, you might have to be cautious. More and more, we are seeing the world does not understand Christianity. They are suspicious of Christianity. We want to be friendly to them, of course, invite them to church or whatever. But nevertheless, we are called here to desire the pure milk of the word. If we are called to desire it, we are called to use the means, causes, occasions, provocations thereunto to maintain that desire. So this is true for us, for our children. Third point, using the pure milk of the word. We know what it is. We know we ought to have the desire and sustain that desire. And we ought to use the pure milk of the word. What does it mean to use it? Well, sure, Pastor, you got to eat it, you got to drink it. That's the metaphor. Yeah, but what does that look like? What specifically is involved here? Well, personally, you should read the Bible and you should read it with purpose. Oh, I got to get my five minutes out. No, you read it because you know you have to learn God's will. And so pick parts of the Bible that are useful for you at the time. You're not more holy because you start reading through numbers. Read the long list of families and numbers that has its place in the Bible. But you're not, you're not especially holy because I'm going to read that. for No, you need to read a proverb, read a proverb. Find the relevant proverbs. There are books that give you summaries of how the book of Proverbs covers all the topics, like a topical uh, summation of that. Do that. Find something that God gave it to us to learn thereby. Read through the epistles. There's lots of good doctrine and practical things as well, as well as we're going to go through Peter. Right? Husbands and wives and children and servants talks about that. You need that. If you struggle with that, memorize that passage, read it. Read it every day for the whole week. There's not one right way, as it were, to use the Word of God, other than, of course, you ought to read it what it says and not make up what you're reading. Learn about the history of, the, of Christ and the Gospels. Read topically, as I was mentioned. Uh, research topically. Uh, this may be a little more harder for you, uh, but commentaries and confessions are here for that matter. They organize the Bible. The confessions do. Uh, there are also topical book studies that do that as well and take the topics and give you all the relevant verses. I think it's called the Treasury of Scripture Knowledge. It should be free online. 
and you just pick a topic and it gives you all the verses, at least they found, probably maybe find other verses, and start reading through that. Again, with the concordance with, or concordance with commentary with you, Matthew Henry's commentary is excellent. It's online. Uh, I would recommend that as a general commentary for most Christians. And of course, the confessions, I hardly recommend to you. Look up the Bible verse, if you have a question about it, in the confession. See how they use it. That tells you how they're exegeting or explaining that passage. Uh, I think if you have the OPC, you should have it in the back. It should have a listing of the Bible verses and cross-referencing all the parts of the confession. That will challenge you on the flip side, right? Because I know if, some of you, a number of you have been Christians for a long time. I've been through the Bible so many times. I've read all the passages. Well, go through the confession and find out how did they exegete that passage and get that conclusion. Can I see that conclusion? There's some advanced work for you. Or ask your pastor. Family time, not just personal usage. Reading and memorization is obvious. That also does the double function of reinforcing your desire. Read the Bible carefully, not sloppily. That's why I ask some of those questions on Wednesday night, not to embarrass you. I want to ask, what is the, you know, the subject of this verse? What's he talking about? Who is he describing here? So that you guys get used to reading it, not reading it so quick. Uh, daily readings for the family, of course. A little goes a long way. Like I said, five minutes, ten minutes for a busy family. Go through John, Romans, and Psalms. That's the basic stuff, right? So the children grow up with that and hear these things of the gospel, what Christ has done, and Romans putting all that together, as it were, and giving you more explicit doctrines. You have the life of Christ, you have doctrine, and then you have the Psalms, which is the praise and, and joy before God, and human experiences all over the Psalms. Bible studies, of course, Sunday schools, they are here to help you fight the flood of lies in society. You are being gaslighted almost every day, brothers and sisters, almost every day telling you one person's one person, not another. The world? I want my kids to see that. Let alone, they're telling you're crazy for being a Christian, crazy for being conservative. You need help, and the church should be there for you. Should be there to fight back against the lies of the world and reinforce the armor of God that you are wearing to equip you and to arm you. And so I'm bleeding into the third use, which is the church. The church ought to be taking the pure milk of the Word of God seriously and using it for the people of God. If we could, we would have a, perhaps a Christian school of some sort. We've done that historically. The churches have helped in that regards to help our children because it's so hard for Christian education these days. A faithful church is not afraid to use the Word of God as the sword of the Spirit that it is. It's called the sword of the Spirit, brothers and sisters. Uh, it, it, it's, it's almost, uh, I guess, uh, commonplace, but it's true. Everything is offensive in Ephesians 6 except the sword of the Spirit. Start stabbing people with it. Right? You read the Word of God, and people feel convicted. The pastor preaches, people feel convicted. Pastors don't, in my experience, I certainly don't, Leonard didn't, said they're, oh, I think I'll pick on. Preaches, that's why you go through passage after passage. You know the pastor doesn't have a pet, pet passage anymore. Just going through the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, and boom, someone gets convicted. That's the Word of God. That's the Spirit working through the Word of God. 2 Corinthians 10.3, the churches need to have this as their verse across the threshold. For though we walk... In the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and following. Those are the churches we ought to be supporting, the ministries we ought to be praying for, brothers and sisters. No more should we be thinking about halfway measures. Yeah, this pastor's mostly good or... No, it, 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 is, it is so bad now. People are giving, falling in left and right 
in these churches to the lies of this world and things are taught in the bad seminaries and bad colleges, a lot of them went to colleges. And they have half measures, but we want the pure milk of the word of God. And churches ought to preach that and nothing less. And we should accept nothing less. They may make mistakes, to be sure, and have some error, but you know they're consistent in their evaluation and their presentation and their preaching and their teaching. They go to the word of God. Feed God's people to guide God's people. In this day and age of darkness, brothers and sisters, of rising ignorance, by God's grace and providence, I pray that we would desire and feed upon the pure milk of the Word of God and nothing else to promote churches and ministries that offer nothing less than the pure milk of God's Word for our souls. Let us pray. We thank you, God, for this exhortation and this encouragement, God. As newborn babes that we would desire, continue to desire, and ever maintain that desire for the pure milk of the Word of God and nothing less, God. And help us grow thereby, we pray. Amen. In the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all. Amen.